and welcome to Thrift Shop Biography. This is the one about David Beckham. Thank you for listening. Hello. Hi. So this week, we've been reading the autobiography of David Beckham. We have tackled David Beckham. Hey! hey. <laughs> well, everybody knows who he is, don't they? Do they? Yeah, I think uh, so. Do Americans know who he it's is? global, yeah, because he lived there for ages and he does yeah. chat shows and stuff. Yeah. Footballer. And he's married to a Spice Girl. Married to a Spice Girl. <laughs> That's how he's known. Yeah. <laughs> so, your thoughts on David Beckham before you read this book? Well, you can't avoid him. As soon as he married a Spice Girl, got together with a Spice Girl, I became aware of him. Every single name he mentioned, I knew the name. Yeah. But I said I didn't know anything about football. No, it's a very interesting point, because I think I know relatively little about football but I every single match that he talked about and stuff that happened, I can remember like it happening it's weird, isn't and I can it? remember watching I think that just goes to show in England how much football is the national sport and how much we're told about it how much it is reported that and is so true. Mainstream media. Yeah, basically. You can't help but know what's going on. No, you can't. Basically, British news, it tells you the world news, all the depressing bits, and then it tells you what happened in football that yeah. day. Yeah, it does. Every single day. Yeah. And it's only football, really. Maybe a little bit of cricket, and if Wimbledon's on, it's tennis. It, isn't it? Am I yeah. wrong? No, you're not wrong. No, it goes straight to football news. Pretty much. We should say for any Americans listening that we're talking about soccer. Oh, soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Not football. No. Football. But we call it football. We call it football. Because we invented it. Well, did we? So we gave it the right name. Yeah. Yeah. Did we definitely invent it? Yes. Was it one of those things? No, we definitely invented it. Good. Out of a sheep's bladder. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Or it might have been a pig. <laughs> Shall we start? Shall we? Hey, shall we? What do they do in football? Shall we kick off? Oh! <laughs> David Robert Joseph Beckham. He's born in 1975, and the name Robert is after Bobby Charlton. Bobby Charlton. Hey, his dad's hero. Mm. His dad, Ted, was an amateur footballer and very passionate about football, and that's exactly what he passed down to his son. Yeah, he did, but I kind of I get that you know little toddler David Beckham is already running around in a football strip. Manchester United because that was his dad's team, mm. but I didn't really get that his dad was this massive overbearing presence forcing him to play football morning, noon, and night. No, I didn't either. He, he was very kind with it. Yeah, he was a football fan, but he was also an amateur footballer that he went on to play a bit semi professionally. Yeah, he'd been a semi professional for Finch. Actually, Wingate. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. And uh, he'd also had trials for Leighton Orient, which Mm -hmm. I have heard of at least. So, yeah, he was probably really good. And so many dads like that, they would, of course, pass their passion down to their kids. But their kids wouldn't necessarily latch onto it like he did. He absolutely ran with it. Hey! <laughs> oh, no. Yes, let's see how many football puns <laughs> we can get in. Can't help <laughs> it. Football pundits. No. So, Mum <laughs> mum wasn't into football at all. Well, yeah, but, but dad, her, dad, her dad was. Her dad was. Her he dad was, was Tottenham mad Hotspur for fan. Spurs, yeah. yeah. So, she'd grown up with football and he was mad for it, so you can't avoid it. Actually, having... Just said that I didn't get that Beckham's dad was a complete tyrant when it came to football and getting David to train. He does say that he used to like it when his granddad came to watch him play because he said, when granddad came and watched, I liked him being there. He was softer with me than dad. And that made me think, oh, so his dad is quite hard on him then. Yeah, I guess so. So he's kicking a ball about pretty (laughs) much from birth, he says. 
And then he's kicking the ball about in the park and his dad's with him and his dad's giving him a certain amount of training. I mean, he's obviously skilled and he loves it. The key thing is he loves it. So at age of seven, he goes to train at Wadham Lodge. Basically, he says he gets any chance to play football, he takes it. Yeah. In any way, if it's primary school, is any football team, he's joining it. Yeah, but I don't think that's an exceptional thing for a young boy. I think most young boys play football a lot when they're kids and they're really into it yeah i don't think the exceptional part of this story happens when he's a kid which is extraordinary in itself because most other world-class sports people that we know about really did get trained really hard from the youngest age whereas beckham i think at the age of seven is basically just playing football like any other kid in your class might have done maybe but the kid i grew up with who was passionate about football he was absolutely mad for football but he was also playing on bikes with us we had a gang we, you well, know do you we think we'd david beckham didn't have a bike <laughs> he never ever mentions any what, other thing like having a friend going biking with other kids he doesn't mention anything apart from football everything okay. is football it's it just seems to me he didn't have a life outside football from being a kid. Every spare moment was taken up with mm-hmm. any kind of football. So he's saying his parents, he sometimes worried that his sisters were missing out because his parents were constantly having to take him to this match, that match, that game. You know, it was all on him because he was so demanding of their time. So, to see a match. David Beckham's parental support yeah. is a big key thing it's in massive. this. He wanted it and they gave it him. It's like Britney Spears again, isn't it? Yeah, it it is really. Because he had an older (laughs) sister, Lynn, and a younger sister, Joanne, who was... He was five when she was born. And I don't think they got a look in, honestly. I think their parents were tied up with him. Because they took him... They had to take him to train at this place. He would watch the training with the older men. And then when the main training was finished, he'd then join in as a seven-year-old and play with the older men. Mm-hmm. Which he said got him really physically fit. And he said he was really little. And, to, yeah. and he had a growth spurt at what, like 17, 18? Yeah. He was little. Yeah, I know. That's hard to imagine actually. Cause I always just think of him as this big man playing football, but he was a late developer. Yeah. He's a little squirt. Yeah. A little fast, feisty little squirt. Yeah. And there was a bloke called Stuart Underwood who managed the Ridgeway Rovers. And he loved that place. Yeah. And he said specifically, again, he was kind and gentle. He seemed to have a really happy time playing football. Yeah, his parents are letting him follow his passion. That's true. And what That's good true. Yeah. Plus, also, everyone's really kind. There's just really nice family sort of feeling about it. I wonder if it's the same now, because as he was coming up, it was still a sort of thing where the very least you were from England if you played for your local teams. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't have had a Spanish person playing for United then. And most of the United players were from Manchester. Yeah. Some of them were from outside Manchester. And it's completely different today. Yeah, but you remember why? Because we read Alan Sugar. Yes. So when all that happened, when the Sky deal went through and the ridiculous amounts of money started coming into the premiership and stuff, they distributed the money out to the club so they could improve their stands and their grounds. But what they did is that they used the money to pay for international players. Yeah, that's right. So So, it became like a chess game. Yeah. So I think you're right. Like in the 80s, it was much more localised. Yeah. So maybe there wasn't the pressure on these kids because there wasn't so much money at stake in those early days, because you wonder if it's still as nice. I don't know. I think now pressure is so high. There's so much money at stake. I would be interested to know how eight and nine-year-olds are treated now, actually. And I don't imagine they're treated horribly, 
but it might but, be taken more be seriously. Yeah, 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 it might be. Who knows? We're, we're hypothesising. Well, in 20 years' time, when yeah. we read the autobiography of a footballer from now. who's eight years old now, yeah, that's right. then we'll be able to report back. Yeah, because the game's <laughs> definitely changed because of that money. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. So this is Ridgeway Rovers, which is the youth team. Yeah, it was a great team, a great person in charge, and he was taking them to games in Germany and Holland and things, so they were getting a little taste of what professional football might be like. And Mm travelling, it already had him travelling. And he actually had a whole list of how many people turned professional from that team. Plus, he ended up playing with so many people he played with as a kid. They were a gang, whereas now if you're buying and selling from anywhere in the world, you won't get that. Huh. And he does actually say at some point, I wonder if there will ever be this sort of camaraderie again because of the nature of the change. Mm -hmm. I was looking for more about that because I'm really interested in how football's changed, but he didn't get into it. You have to read his new book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So already scouts from teams like West Ham and stuff, they come and watch these little kids in their Sunday leagues knocking balls about because they want to get the new world-class players. They get them really young, they don't really they? really do. West Ham were after him at aged 11. Yeah. But he wasn't having it. No, he wasn't. And who else was it? Uh, um, Tottenham Hotspur yeah. wanted him. But because of his dad's love for Manchester United, even though he was a London boy, his dream was to play for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And even though these other clubs were getting interested in him, like with Tottenham Hotspur, he'd go and meet them. But in his head, he was just like, ah, it's got to be Manchester United. Yeah. Even as a little boy, he was kind of holding He knew out. his dream. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool, isn't it? By the way, yeah, so he lived in Chingford is where he grew up. So, yeah, he really was a London, not East End, not Cockney, but just an ordinary yeah. North London fellow. Yeah. His dad was a heating engineer. His mum was a hairdresser. Just as normal as you can get. And, you know, who was only living around 15 minutes down the road? Victoria Beckham. Yeah. 15 minutes. Mm. So when they finally met, they actually worked out they'd definitely been in the same pub at the same time. Yeah. And neither of them was who they were, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all yeah, that that's to cool, come. isn't it? All that to, to come, come up soon. To come. <laughs> <laughs> well, he went to Chingford High School. Yeah, and they didn't play football no. at Chingford High School, isn't they? Played rugby. Now, I found that weird. Yeah. Why would a school not play yeah, it's football. so classic. It must have just been the teacher, whatever the, whoever the sports teacher was, was into rugby. Well, he was into rugby, so they had a rugby team. And then him and his friends, who were mad on football, basically went to the teacher and said, please, can we have a football team? And they had to really keep on at him. But eventually he said, yeah, OK. So it was down to David Beckham and his friends as to why that school ever got to play football. Yeah, it is. And then as soon as they got that team going, they started to win. Yeah. And they became a really good school mm-hmm. at football. And he said that that school team was a way into representative football. They started playing against district and county teams. He was also good at other sports as well. Like He was cross-country champion and he actually swam for his school, Chingford mm. High. So he's a bit of an all-rounder. Yeah. And so at 13, they had a footy trip to Texas. Yeah. That is fantastic, isn't I know. it? know. Like really getting to travel. And he got housed with a Mexican family. He was the only one. They were a lot poorer than all of his mates were staying in fancy houses, but he absolutely loved it because they were passionate about football. He just fell in love with America on that trip. I was really surprised at how much travelling they did as kids just because they were playing football. It's a really good way to see the world, isn't it, sports? Yeah, I wish I played more now. I mean, yeah. (laughs) But also his parents 
Even though they were ordinary people, they had enough money to pay for these trips. I mean, they really did have en- enough to support him. I bet they put everything they had into him. Yeah, I know. And it makes me think, what does his sisters get? Exactly. Bugger all. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, hopefully he's made that up with them now. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he's bought them both a house. At the very least, he should have done that. He's yeah. absolutely minted. I looked him up and he's worth something like $450 million. I mean, at the very least, a flat. Yeah, no, more than a flat. Come on. <laughs> His sisters were completely neglected. Yeah, they were neglected. Him. House of the Pool and that should make up for all the trauma. Yeah, House of the Pool and Room for a Pony. <laughs> so word is getting around about little David Beckham and he's been approached by scouts from West Ham, Wimbledon, Arsenal and Spurs. Basically, when it came time for him to make a decision, because he's London, the decision came down to either go for Arsenal and Spurs and because his granddad was just such a lifelong Tottenham supporter... They went to see Spurs, who at the time was governed by Terry Venables. Yes. Now we've met him before. Yes, we have. Because Alan Sugar's book. Yeah. And we know what a... Well, it was a bit of a gangster. What a bit of a gangster he is. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, at 11 years old, Manchester United sent a scout to see the game and... He cried because he was so excited. And then Alex Ferguson called their home and his dad picked up the phone and it was like both of their absolute dreams because Alex Ferguson was manager of... I love how much Alex Ferguson is involved with the players even from that very first stage when they're 10 years old. Yeah, so when you know, when you've got to the end of this book and you know their entire history, he's literally been a massive father figure to him and been with him since he was 11, known him since he was 11 and known the family, gone out of his way to get to know them all properly. Yeah. But they didn't do a deal with him at this point. He was just kicking around at Spurs. It's weird, isn't it, how they train him, but they haven't bagged him, as it were. Yeah. I wonder if that's in their own interest, though, because that's such a young age. Yeah. Maybe they just keep an eye on him for a couple of years and see how they're actually going yeah. to mature as a player. I guess so, but they're still putting an investment in without yeah. any anything back. But when he was 10, and then when he was 11, he went to Bobby Charlton's soccer yeah. school, and it was just football day and night, and he absolutely loved it. And... In his second year there, he won. Like, yeah, football the, player of the session. Yeah, and they had him on the pitch in front of 40,000 supporters yeah. all cheering for him because yeah. he'd won. That's amazing. That's the best kid in that training school. And um, the prize was two weeks training with Barcelona, yes. which was epic. That was huge for him. And then, two years later at 13, in 1988, by then Terry Venables was the manager of Spurs, and that's when they offered him a six-year contract. six-year contract, yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So the deal is, a six-year contract, age 13, they pay for you for two years while you're at school, and then two years in the youth team. This YTS scheme, yeah. do you remember that from the 80s? Yeah. I was really surprised to find out that you could do football on the YTS. <laughs> yeah. And then two years as a professional. So that's your six-year contract. And so then I suppose from 13 on, they've got you. You can't go anywhere else then. Yeah. And But then um, he was like, yeah, but it's not United. Who approached United? Did they come to him? They came back to him. They, yeah. Spurs made a really generous offer. It was on David Beckham's 13th birthday. Manchester United were playing at home and they'd gone up to see them. And Alex Ferguson was just waiting for him and his dad. And he said, hello, David, we'd like to sign you on the same deal that Spurs had offered him. Yeah, exactly the same. And he basically went, yep. Yeah. Straight away. Yes, that's the dream. 
And he actually says, now bearing in mind he's writing this book as a much older person, I just lived through the happiest day of my life. Yeah. I thought, you can't say that. You're married with yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah. You should write, I just lived through the happiest day of my life up until that point. Yeah, but to be fair, <laughs> this kid dreamed of playing football for Man United. He did not dream of getting married and having kids. That wasn't his dream. Yeah. That, was, that was just the next good thing that happened to him. So the happiest day of his <laughs> yeah. life was on his 13th birthday. That's a bit it's sad. It's just downhill from there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill from now on. So they've got him at 13. And there's no massive pressure for the first couple of years. As long as he is playing football regularly, he's allowed to play with his Sunday league team. They go and they check up on him occasionally. As long as he's playing football, that's kind of all they care yeah, about yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah, just the local teams and stuff. And then he went to Manchester. Yeah, he moves there at 15 and a half years old. Yeah, he's already like on the youth team at Manchester United and he's playing with Gary, Phil Neville, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes. There's, like, there's lots of people coming up at the same time as him. Yeah, they call them the school of 92 in yeah. the future. Because they stuck together for years and they mm-hmm. were stars of mm-hmm. their team. I wonder if, I mean, obviously we're reading one footballer's memoir and so he's going to mention the people he came up with. I wonder if in other years the same amount of kids come up through together or like you said earlier, maybe the game has changed so they're not all staying together anymore. Yeah, they're that's all what being... I think. They're just being bought and sold like pieces in a game. Yeah. In 1999... This is what he says. The class of 92 grew up together, lived to play for United. Might be impossible to replace that spirit in the future. Yeah. I mean, this whole era that we're talking about where Beckham comes up, it was kind of a golden era of football where I think even people who weren't that bothered about football kind of got into it because yeah. it was exciting. Got drawn into it. Do you know what I think is pulling everyone together with football now? What? Women's football. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's pure. That's still pure. Like it was then. Yeah, I think people were getting the same excitement, like collective shared excitement, as it was in the 90s. I think we have that now with women's football. Oh, good point. Which is very exciting. Yes, good. (laughs) For non-sports people, we're making some interesting commentary (laughs) here. Surprising me. Okay, so then look, they're all on the youth team there and they actually win this kind of little golden cluster of football boys who are coming up they win the youth cup for manchester united and it's the first time manchester united have won it since 1964 when george best was on the youth team yeah which was another golden era of football it was it really was because that was two years before england won the world cup yeah you're right this is the next big golden era yeah so around this time 92 93 they're actually getting opportunities to play on the first team What are they now? 16, 17, right? Yeah. Ryan Giggs was the captain. Yeah. I think think he's like a year older. I think he might have been the year before or something. Yeah, They won that Youth Cup in 93 as well. Did they? Yeah. So they really were absolutely... They were hot. the, ...the best in the upcoming bunch. Yeah, he got subbed into a game for the first time when he was 17 and he was on for 17 minutes and it was exceedingly exciting for him. And then... After that, and he did quite well, they put him on loan to Preston North End, who was a team in the third division, which I didn't know they did things like that. I didn't, and he actually thought, 
oh, damn it, Manchester United don't want me anymore because none of the others got shipped out to other yeah. teams. It was just Beckham. But I think he was 19 and they shipped him out to Preston North End for a month. And it was because he thinks now in retrospect, he was a bit soft and they wanted to harden him up a bit. Yeah. They wanted him to get his first team experience and get a few games under his belt off at Preston North End. Without and then, the pressure. Yeah. It seems like he didn't have to play every single game, but he did. He absolutely dedicated himself. He was there every single day for one month and well, everyone he didn't loved want, yeah, him. Yeah, he didn't want to leave. And he loved them. Yeah, and he actually said, can I stay? Yeah. Like, no, no, I want you back now. <laughs> yeah. So it, that's a really, really positive so, but it's interesting then that would say that at that point in his professional career, he was actually quite slow at getting started. Yeah. So like the other ones, like Paul Scholes and Gary Phil Neville and stuff, we don't know because we don't read the book, but I'm assuming they got to stay at Manchester United and then they shipped Beckham out because yeah. they needed to harden him up a bit. Sounds yeah. like it. And it was in 95 where three of the big stars suddenly left United Yes. And they actually had a bit of a drive to bring some of the young ones in all in one go. Yeah. The thing about Manchester United replacing the departing players with young blood was a bit controversial at the time, actually, amongst the fans and the media. The impression was is that you can't win anything with this many kids on the team because what you would do is draft in other players from other teams and stuff. But the gaffer took a risk on putting these kids into the first team, which I think shows how particularly good Talented. they were. Yeah. Or the team had no money and couldn't afford other players, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Eric Cantona was on the team. Oh, I loved reading them. And he Eric brought Cantona. them up. It sounds like he actually trained them up because you have to have the odd older one to look up to. Yeah, but he was very standoffish and he said that Eric Cantona wouldn't really talk to anyone. He'd turn up at the beginning of training or the game on his own, wouldn't really talk to anyone, but everybody just completely revered him. Mm. Beckham actually says that the success they had at that time, he says he can't put it down singularly to Eric Cantona, but he said if Eric Cantona wasn't there, they probably would not have done as well. Right. I'm very intrigued by Eric Cantona, I have to say. Are you? Yeah, he has a real edge about him. I'm fascinated by him. I'd love to read his book if he has one. Blimey. I bet it would be way more interesting than David Beckham. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to have to read one more football book just to find out. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. No, I, I felt this book was a missed opportunity in it didn't grip me. And it's weird because I discover through reading it, I actually know a lot of the football yeah. that they talk about. But it was not told to me in an engaging way. But we should know this from watching a David Beckham interview. He's just a, a kind of mild-mannered man. Yeah. So that's what you get, a mild-mannered book. A boring book. I don't want to say boring. I know you don't want to say boring, no, but, but it but is. I, but I don't want I to say boring. I wasn't bored by it, but I wasn't half as engaged as I was by Agassiz. Yeah, I know. So it, he is a mild-mannered man, and so is his book. But also, he didn't have as many demons to fight. If somebody like Gaza, Paul oh, Gaspar, all the ups and downs of that yeah. man, that would be a lot more dramatic. But this man has managed to work life balance like nobody's business and is essentially very happy in his life, well supported, loved. And that that's his life. Do you know what? Ah I almost <laughs> don't believe this memoir. We need to start talking about Victoria because I think what I have to say is more applicable okay. to what he tells us about Victoria. But I almost am wondering if this whole memoir is just kind of a puff piece and presenting the David Beckham to the world that he wants us to believe he is. Because I don't believe anyone who has achieved this and has been thrust into the world spotlight the way he has. 
and just stays this mild man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he, he surely, like we think about Eric Cantona, Paul Gascoigne, all of these people. They have such an edge to them. Yeah. And David Beckham, like, literally has no well, edge. You obviously, ne- yeah. So what you're saying is you need an edge to be this good at football. So maybe he's hiding it. He's hiding something. Yeah, you think? Yeah. I mean, he does it very, very well. Yeah. The thing that he's hiding, which I am accusing him of, I have never seen it and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> it's just You just can't I, believe. Yeah, I can't believe that, it. That if you're that intense at such a masculine and hardcore warlike sport, that you could be that mild-mannered off the pitch. What's his problem? That's what I want to know. No, I think yeah. he, I think there's something that we're not... He does talk about depression later. He falls out with Alex Ferguson. He has massive downers. He has downers with Victoria Beckham when he's down. That's really annoying to her. And not, that's right. not going well in his relationship when he takes all that depression home. So he does say that. He does say that, He just actually, says it mildly. He says it... But he, he, it's there. Yeah. But it's just that he writes about it so mildly... You, Maybe it isn't yeah. sinking in how terrible that is. There's yeah, some no, bad yeah. things. You can cruise over it, but yeah. those things are all in there. As soon as he joins Man U properly and they let all those young people in, they win the Premiership. Then the FA Cup final happened and they played versus Liverpool and then they won the FA Cup. Oh, yeah, and it was in that game at Wembley when they played Wimbledon. He got one goal and it was an epic swerve and it was from quite far away. It's from the halfway line. Yeah, that's yeah, good. It's, it's a very famous goal. It's the first time I heard about David Beckham. Yeah, it's first time the media really, really yeah. put the spotlight on him. Yeah, it was amazing. Because there's no way it should have gone in and he was more the midfielder or something where you pass it to someone else who gets yeah. it in so you're not the main goal taker. He took it from so far away and he Bent it like Beckham <laughs> and it swerved into the goal and nobody could believe it and that's when he got all the media attention and became famous Beckham person. Yeah, life was never the same yeah, since he life. kicked that ball. Yeah. All of a sudden, David Beckham is the most famous young football player. Like we're all beginning to know who he is, even people who aren't into football. Yeah. And he's right at that time, the height of his confidence. He's sitting in the hotel room in his bed next to Gary Neville in his own bed. They very make that clear. They're in their (laughs) own beds. And on the telly is Say You'll Be There, the Spice Girls. The video where they're in the desert. Desert. Victoria's in this leather catsuit and he falls in love with her. Call it love if you want, but it's not. It's not love. No, it begins with L. And he's like, that's the woman for me. Got to meet her. You're right. I tell you what he's keeping down. I tell you what he completely squashes in this book is his sexuality because he obviously has one and he totally squashes it like men sometimes do uh, in our society when you're not supposed to be a virile sexual man. That's what he's got. He's got testosterone pumping through him and he doesn't just play it down. He completely hides it in this book. That's what's missing. That's the truth that's missing. Yeah. He doesn't just see her and go, that's the mother of my kids. He goes, I want to have sex with that sexy woman. But he doesn't say that and that's the truth of it. And to be fair, he's probably said that about a lot of women. There's no way he hasn't. But that might be what's missing. You saying what's missing could be that. Okay, so I have a theory about this book. This book came out about 20 years ago after there was a massive 
expose in the media about David Beckham having an affair with Rebecca Luz. That's true. Yeah. I've remembered that now. Yeah. He mentions it. He doesn't name her. He basically says how the press really went from tried to wreck his marriage, how one person seemed intent on breaking his marriage up. He's never said one way or the other about this affair. He never challenged it legally, which people take as guilt, right? She, Rebecca Luz, has been absolutely crucified. But she said the paper got in touch with her and said, we're running this story anyway. So your name's going to be shit anyway. So take half a million pounds and tell us something. And that's what she did. Wow. Which I don't really blame her for, actually. Now, all of a sudden, that tells me why in this book he Gosh, like I no doubt he's in love oh, with Victoria. This is the, yes. But this is like within a year of that affair being in the newspapers, he's gushing about Victoria, oh. how much he loves family life. He talks her up so much. Oh. You're right, he's not talking about anything sexual no, whatsoever. He leaves his sexuality on the doorstep and, and I think it's it. massive damage limitation after this massive affair oh story my came God. out. Because it is, it's a love letter to Victoria. Yeah. Oh, very interesting because early on in their relationship, there was a lot of pictures in the paper and he does vaguely mention that. He says the media kept showing pictures of me with this girl, me with that girl, and I'd never even met them and they were just trying to destroy yeah. us. But he would have been going out and there would have been women all over those oh, footballers. God, he's the most attractive there's man in the world. prostitutes, yeah. there's, there's actual ordinary girls, there's everybody, good-looking ones. They're throwing themselves at these fit, testosterone fueled blokes. And I'll tell you what else, it's organised by the managers half the time. Now, here's the thing about that. This book is gushing about Victoria so much. I almost don't think... That's because David Beckham feels like he has to repair things with his wife. I think that's both of their managers saying, Brand Beckham is the biggest thing on the planet. You're You're the golden couple. Everybody loves you. Put this right, right now. And they want to read that after the match, she phoned Victoria and had an absolutely banal conversation with her. (laughs) And she said a sentence that made me feel much better because she always supports me. And she, oh my God, there's so much of that. Yeah. I forgot. It's because they were repairing Brand Beckham after his affair. Wow. Because he says in this book later on when they go on a tour around Japan, everyone was absolutely mad for them. And they were mad because they loved both of them separately. And together it was gold. As you remember watching a Piers Morgan programme on Victoria. And he said he took around the newspaper at the time. Was he Was he Daily Mail or something? Mirror, I Awful. think. Awful. Yeah. And he said, we run pretty much a story on you pretty much every day on the front page because it sells papers. Mm. She was like, really? And he said, you are the Lady Die of now. Yeah, you sell papers. It's worth million billions. And I have to say, so let's go back to the beginning of their relationship. It's actually Simon Fuller, manager of the Spice Girls, who comes over to David Beckham and says, I want you to meet Victoria. Oh, yeah, that's right. So even at that early... So I think he probably knows if we can pull this off. The marketing things for the Spice Girls and Manchester United is all of a sudden massive. We've doubled ourselves by working together. Probably thought it would just be a a year or something, a fling in it, but it'd be big not knowing. They actually are soulmates. I really do believe that. They're really two of a kind. I think everyone involved got very lucky to the fact that they did really hit it yeah, off they and really they did. really do love each other because yeah. it just happened. I think because of Posh and Beck's, though, 
lots of other people, the whole pop star footballer thing, like Cheryl Cole and Footballers Ashley. Footballers' wives. Yeah. In the 70s, footballers used to go out with page three girls, yeah. right? Yeah. And page then, three being topless models, uh, yeah. Yeah, topless models in the newspaper. it's long gone now, that yeah. <laughs> ages us. And then, in, like, in the 90s, it became footballers with pop stars. But Posh and Bex, are they the only ones that are actually still surviving from that? <laughs> I don't know what happened with Wayne Rooney and that woman. Colleen, she was never a pop star. I tell you what, you've nailed it. So I think actually maybe the relationship in the first moment was possibly contrived by management. It just so happened that they just hit it off. Oh my God, you know, I Wikipedia David Beckham and his manager now is Simon Fuller. Oh, really? I couldn't believe it. Not manager, agent or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manages his career. Okay. So they've obviously had difficulties. And the the cynical part of me thinks, even if they hated the sight of each I mean, they've had like three children together. they've got through them. Four now. Four now. They've had four children together. I think they have come out the other side. But I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of what kept them together through the hard times was that they have this world-conquering brand that they know is in both their best interests and their kids' interests to keep going. I think you're right. He actually says quite a few times in this book, that many things attracted him to Victoria, her legs, her personality, obviously. But he says, I was really attracted by her fame and how she handled it. But the fact that she was famous and her society she operated in, he loved it. He really latched onto it. All the, like, the Elton John and David Furnish friends and Tom Cruise. He absolutely loved it all. One of the things that I thought when he kept calling her after every game, I kind of thought, why? And then I thought, oh, she got famous before him. Yeah. Only not for long, but like she had a year of worldwide fame before he did. Yeah. And I bet she did really help him. And that's why he called her. Yeah, and he actually right, remembers the things she said and they yeah. were really useful to him. For once, I'm going along with your cynical view because I think you're right. But on top of that is a real genuine love. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And they had the fourth kid quite a long time after the other kid. So maybe that was the one, let's have another kid to bring us back together. That's always a good idea. People isn't always it? do that. But this time <laughs> it might have worked, you know. And a girl yeah. finally. Because although he said it, how much he absolutely wanted boys, he's got three boys, at least he gets a girl. And it seems like Harper, the girl, was the one who was the most into football. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know anything about the others at all? Yeah, I Googled them all. Did you? Yeah. So you don't not bothered about them keeping their privacy? No. I just kind of wanted to know because he was so keen on them becoming footballers. And in this book, although there's only the two boys, they, they looked like they had so much promise in football and he was kicking around with them all the time and they were going to all the matches. And I think he really... I think now the second son, Romeo, I think he actually now is a footballer. Oh, okay. Either the second or third one, but for like an absolute third division team you've never heard of. But he is actually uh, a yeah, footballer. Yeah, I, I think it's a, if your dad's David Beckham, don't it's be hard, a footballer. It? Maybe he loves it. Yeah, he had five true. years off. He was promising, then said he didn't want to play anymore. I had five years of not playing. Oh. i tell you what else I've learned through reading this. Most of what the media reports, I'd say 95% is true. True? Yeah, they're on it. And I would also say that there's a leak because he says when something happened like... When he fell out with Alex Ferguson and he threw a boot and it hit his eye and it bled. Yeah. It was, that was in the paper by yeah. that night or the next morning. There's a leak. All those reports about his infidelities probably are true because all the stories he talks about, he goes, I don't know how they knew, but it was in the media. They're spies, aren't they? Yeah, and there's also, you know, like at a football 
club. There's lots of other people keeping that running, even the person who's coming in and picking up the towels to take to the laundry. Yeah, They're privy to a everywhere. lot of stuff, yeah. And then in the house, there's staff, loads of staff. Oh, you know, talking about Wayne Rooney, you know, there was a big court case because Colleen, his wife, a lot of her secrets were ending up in the newspapers. She went, Miss Marple, this is the term Wagatha Christie. This is where it came from. <laughs> I don't because, know that term. Okay. There's a play in the West End about it right now. Right. About Colleen Rooney and how she found the person what? who was leaking the stuff to the press. So every time a story come out, she got very clever about it and she told fewer people. Until... And then it got it down until she was just telling one person and it made it to the press. And then she just revealed the name on social media. It was Rebecca Vardy, who's another wife of a footballer. Oh, it was another wife. Yeah. Who was wow. selling stories to the press. Wow. Yeah, that is now a play in the West End. Oh my God, Wagatha Christie. Wagatha Christie, yeah. So it's wives and girlfriends, wags. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. All right, back to football. Oh, boo. Um, (laughs) So look, let's just kind of pass through a few years. Well, there's a certain thing, a big thing that happened. The World Cup happened and he got put into the England squad. That's humongous because all the pride he had and the pride his parents had of him getting to where he got, was already more than enough. The England bloody squad. I know, and he said he found out while he was sitting on the sofa at his mum and dad's, him and his mum were flicking through teletext. Teletext, and it came up his name in the England squad. How strange. That really dates it, actually. Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> so, obviously, he's absolutely made Yeah, up. and he's going up alongside the already iconic players, like yeah. Gazza and Alan Shearer and David Seaman. He was 20 years old, and he's yeah, going to play for his country. Yeah, and then... In some really horrible thing, Glenn Hoddle was the manager. Doesn't sound like such a people person. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. He dropped five people from the team. It's really horrible how, how it happened. And one of them was Paul Gascoigne, Gaza. Yeah. In fact, it broke him. It sent him mad. But I mean, he would have been mad before. You don't actually turn mad because you're... He's on the brink, but these people live for football. I'm and so it... fascinated by that man. I know. But you can really see when your whole life has been geared up to something and they get dropped out so young yeah. and then what do you do you can see how well, you become an alcoholic you become you know how hard it is to deal with yeah, it yeah it's a, honestly it's stuff. a real tragedy what happened to Gaza yeah it's terrible but it's the way it was done was brutal yeah it was really bad in front of a whole team you know you 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 and you you're in they weren't given any time to process their emotions it's like let's crack on with it let's train and then he got dropped because well, Glenn Hoddle says you're not focused because on his day off he'd spent it with Victoria yeah, he was in the squad, but when they pick the 11 to play the match, yes. he wasn't chosen yeah. for that. Yeah. And he said all the rest of the team had gone to play golf, but he went to see Victoria. And he said if the boss had said, you have to go and play golf, he'd have gone to play golf. But he didn't. So that was a choice. So, you know, it's, it's, like, it's bollocks. Some of the, the way they're dealt with is really I know, cruel. he went to see Victoria. See what a good husband he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hard. Life work balance. You're not supposed to have one, basically. You're supposed oh, to be 100% yeah. football, mm-hmm. and the women are supposed to be meaningless or extras. Have one, yes. Have one who isn't as important like as crap. a spice girl. Yeah, yeah, like we often read these books where the blokes are giving 100% to their careers and treating the women really badly. He didn't treat the woman really badly. Yeah. 
at least within his marriage parameters <laughs> that we know of. Yeah. And he was penalised for that, definitely. Yeah. Golden Balls was penalised. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he did go on to cover injury in the second match and Michael Owen and David Beckham were in the third match and he scored for England. Yeah. And it was excellent. And then... In the game against Argentina, this bloke called Diego Simeone was really riling him up and really, really messing him about. And he just saw red for a second and kicked back. Well, you know what? He didn't really. It really was nothing. It's that terrible thing in football where the opposing player will act Oh, like there's so much acting. Them. It's like that yeah. wrestling thing, isn't it? There's so much fake I mean, drama. It, what David Beckham did was so inconsequential. He was already on the floor. He basically just lifted his boot up, not with any aggression or speed or strength, and then it clipped Diego Thingy, and Diego Thingy made a big thing of falling to the ground in agony. And because of that, David Beckham gets a red Card, yeah, and he's out of the tournament. Tournament. Well, then the worst part is the England supporters and Britain itself, the media and everything, basically blame him for losing the World Cup. Because then, what happens in that game? England go on to lose, and Glenn Hoddle said, "Well, if we'd had Beckham for the entirety of the game, we probably would have won." Yeah, so Glenn Hoddle put it on him. So that was again the media twisted it to say we're out of the World Cup because of David Beckham. But when you even see, even knowing that, even with that information, if you looked and saw what happened, anybody with a rational mind would say it's really unfair what happened to David Beckham because that did not warrant a red card. It just didn't. Mm. But like you say, football fans are so passionate. When something like that happens, they need someone to blame. Yeah, and when someone's really up as well with uh, the whole posh bystander, they love to tear him down. And he just became a total scapegoat. I remember it. It was awful. Some fans hung an effigy of him from a lamppost. He said that haunted him for years. I bet it did. Yeah. Anyway, that was absolutely devastating for him. You see, there's a downer. He had a downer. Yeah. That was terrible. And also, it was just all going so well. For the last few years, it's just been yeah, going it was up, so and up. up and up. And uh, to get to play for your country yeah. and then to get blamed. And, yeah, and not even doing anything that warrants what happened, actually. Yeah. It's so unfair. Yeah. It really was. Anyway, yeah. to get over it, he... Well, actually, the first thing he heard was Victoria's pregnant, so he's absolutely made up. He got on a plane... Went to France, went to the UK, went to New York, went to Madison Square Gardens and partied with the Spice Girls. Said he was having a great time. Do you know what? There was a line in this book which made me think he was so sweet. So he phoned Victoria and she says, we're pregnant. He says, I couldn't believe it because he's on the coach coming back from the game. I couldn't believe it. I went into the tiny toilet on the team coach and just jumped up and down, hugging myself. Yeah. I was so happy. because yeah, he couldn't tell anyone because he was just getting anyone. the news. That was really sweet that he's just <laughs> hugging himself in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Look, we shouldn't knock him just because he's got testosterone and he needs an outlet and sometimes it's women. He is a lovely man, you know. I get that he's incredibly sensitive. We're led to believe that it's not that common in sports people yeah i get and the reason why i'm not being too harsh on him is because i'm really aware of how sensitive he is it would be like kicking a puppy yeah <laughs> yeah and also you have to have testosterone to be a sports person yeah. and you are away all the time from your woman what you're saying it's all right that he shagged other women because <laughs> he's nice and sensitive 
Oh, God, I don't know. I can't make a judgment on this, right? Oh, I'm just going to carry on talking about what actually happened. Right, so Brooklyn was born. They had a wedding. It was epic. They had it in an Irish castle. Why an Irish castle? Who's Irish? Nobody's Irish. It's just a really nice setting. It's romantic. It's like out of a novel. Okay. Victoria organised it all, so he doesn't talk about why, because he had nothing to do with it. And he just turned up looking amazing. The Spice Girls were all there except Jerry, and I actually remember that in the news. Anyway, so that's that, basically. Absolutely was that stick. the first massive celebrity wedding? Yes, and he said they sold the rights to something like Hello. Basically explained that the reason you do that is because they then provide security oh, yeah. to make sure no other pictures yeah. get taken. So then they take care of that, Yeah, which makes sense. But it's another thing that would annoy somebody like Alex Ferguson, who is convinced that his focus is divided between his fancy pop star life yeah. and his football life because it was such a massive thing, that wedding. Yeah, and it's weird because he said it like almost straight after the wedding, he had to just have a really quick honeymoon because Alex Ferguson said to him, you've got to come back and train. And when he got there, the first team actually weren't there. And so he had to train with the reserve. And it's just like, why couldn't he have just stayed on his honeymoon for a couple of extra days? It's like they're really knocking him back They knock him place. back. They want him to not get too big for his boots, all that stuff. And he doesn't seem like he is. He seems like he understands that that's that life. Do you know what? David Beckham doesn't fit the mould of a stereotypical footballer, actually. And I wonder if his difference is alienating him now from the club and Alex Ferguson is treating him differently, which he kind of is. I think he is. But when you see him talking about his teammates, they're always like giving him loads of stick for this and giving him stick for that. Or they're actually at the wedding. You know, they're part of it. Or they're all going to Buckingham Palace to see the Queen, which he got tons of stick for from Alex Ferguson, just for going to see the Queen. If you're invited to Buckingham Palace to see the Queen and you're the captain of the England football team, which he was at that point, of course he goes. Yeah. That's your duty as a citizen of your country. And Alex Ferguson seriously punishes him for that. It's like, oh, come on. It is odd, actually. I think he's being bullied. At times, I think David Beckham was definitely bullied by his own team and I include the management by, by mostly the management yeah. which is Alex Ferguson yeah. personally actually I think he thought he's got too big for his boots who does he think he is he was just living a life pleasing his wife but always still dedicated to football yeah he was still playing really well at this yes. point yes and he always prioritised football he said he had one half a day off when his kid Brooklyn was so ill he was flopping about and he was terrified so he said phoned up and said it was only training could I miss the morning's training because I don't want to leave until I know he's okay he only missed a couple of hours as it turned out and he got so penalised for that he got left out of matches and stuff it's a real shame because he was with that team for 12 years since he was a child since he was a child and that was a massive father figure to him and he just turned on him and he got really really depressed then after they didn't win the World Cup and they the, the next time round, which is, what, 2002, they really thought they could, and he got into a real depression, and it was he really struggled to get out of it, and then Alex Ferguson was just bullying him non-stop, and then he was taking it home and being miserable at home, so Victoria wasn't happy with him. Yeah, that was the lowest point of his life, basically. So basically then, he'd gone to Japan with Victoria, and somebody phoned him and said... It's in the papers that United are going to sign you to Barcelona. Oh, yeah. And United actually wants you signed. So he's, he knew they wanted him out. And he didn't, he didn't hear that from them. He heard that through the media, which is so harsh. So at that point, he phoned Real Madrid and said, 
if I'm going to get signed to a, a team, I want it to be you. Do you want me? And they said, yes, we do. So he signed to them. Mm-hmm. So he took control. And they were an amazing team. They had beautiful Ronaldo on their team at that point, almost as good looking as Elvis in my books. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, oh, also an amazing football player. <laughs> and so he'd really signed it onto an amazing team. See, he did. But that shouldn't downplay the fact that Manchester United basically got a shot of him without telling him. And he said no word from the gaffer, no word from anybody at the club after a dozen years there. Everything he did and all of his successes at Man United, they didn't even phone him and tell him they were getting rid of him. It's disgraceful. It's absolutely heartbreaking and... Yeah, there's this picture at the back of my book, which is, it's the back of him. And it's obviously to see his number, 23, on his back. But I actually felt really sad to see the back of him, as it were. You know, his head bowed. And I I can imagine that a little kid just being rejected by his the love of his life, which is his football team. Do you know what? He is a little kid in a lot of respects still. And like we say, this book is almost written in a child's voice. And maybe it is that thing about him being looked after his whole adult life. Some of the writing in this book is so childish. Like he says, when Victoria's pregnant for a second time, he actually says Victoria had to carry the new baby for nine months in her tummy. And I think that's so funny because it's like what a 10-year-old would say. But then also his parents divorce later in the book. And he reacts to it. As if he's 12, I thought. He's no. just really devastated by it. But I think you've really pinpointed it by saying that he's just been so looked after his whole life since he was a kid. In some ways, he has never had to grow up. I think you've nailed that there. Do you know what his dad said to him? No. This is weird. Well, I do because I read the book. <laughs> what, what are you going to say? <laughs> parents got divorced. My dad actually said to me that having my own family and not spending as much time with my parents was part of the problem for them. Yeah. Wow. To put the blame on him. His dad basically blamed him but for But they lived their through him. They absolutely lived through him. He achieved all their goals. Well, especially the dads. So they got what they wished for, basically. They made their son a world-class football player, and that meant they kind of didn't see him. Well, I think they did, because they were at all the matches. Oh, my God, so yeah, many but they times see him he on was the... at all the matches, but then Victoria was at the matches. And then yeah. he was any spare time he's got, he's flying here and flying there because the Spice Girls are here and there. Yeah. So he's got to fly to America in his spare time to see Victoria, not fly home to see his parents. So I guess, yeah, the, the priorities shifted. Okay, so then... Basically, my book ends in 2003 when he signed to Real Madrid, but they went on and on. He ended up, uh, they moved to LA and he played for LA Galaxy. And where else? Did he play for France? Is he still playing now? He's not playing now. No, he's not playing now. He's definitely retired. Modelling career. Oh, my God. Tons and tons of charity work, kids, charities. He's very philanthropic. I think they're good people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, we never mentioned the kidnapping death threats and stuff. Oh, a lot of that stuff. There's a chapter called The Bubble Beckham, which is all of the stuff about them being famous, having famous friends, and what comes with that, all the death threats. Yeah, they actually uncovered a kidnapping plot where they actually arrested a gang. It was very real. It was going to happen. Yeah. And they were going to kidnap Victoria and the kids and and then ransom them. They actually got the gang just before they did it. Yeah, I mean, that's terrifying yeah it's not to be envied that stuff nevertheless you can't do normal things like take your kid down to the beach but you can 
stay at Elton John and David yeah. Furnish's luxury villa in France, which probably means you don't need to go to the beach. <laughs> Plenty of those places well, have, have their, their private beach, beach yeah. access and stuff. Yeah. But it's not the same, actually, as just taking your kids down the park for a kickabout. It's not it's the just same. Not. You completely have to operate on a different level. Yeah. But it's pretty fancy and nice level, isn't it? He, there's other stuff he doesn't mention. He never, ever mentions money. He never mentions how much he gets paid. He never talks about any of that stuff. Yet again, there's so much not said, especially as he becomes a, who he is now. What do we know of him now? He got into all of our hearts when he queued up to see the dead queen. Oh, he did, didn't he? When he other people were jumping the queue, all night up. with ordinary people with to pay his folk. respects. Yeah. Do you know why? Why? Because the press were turning on him again, and he oh, knew that's how. Because he he's could got really good PR people. Back. Yeah. It was when the World Cup was being held in Qatar yeah. and he took a £10 million paycheck when other people were turning it down because Qatar have an appalling human rights record. Yeah, yeah. Not least Death towards... Um, for homosexual people. For gay people. And Beckham has prided himself as being a big gay icon on the front covers yeah. of magazines. Yet he goes and takes the money from... Qatar. So that was all coming out in the yeah. press. So he went to queue up for the Queen and we all loved him again. Oh. It's very clever, this Look, whole PR machine. Those PR is very people clever. are getting paid a mint. They ought to be good at their jobs. Yeah, and I think they wrote this book. Oh, he didn't. I looked up, I've never done this before. I thought, oh, okay, Beckham hasn't written this book. And so I looked up who wrote it with him, if that would explain the book. And do you know who wrote it? No. Tom Watt. Do you know who that no. is? Lofty from EastEnders. That's bizarre. Isn't it bizarre? Wow. <laughs> I actually wrote, I actually, I wrote this bit down, right? He's in Dubai. The heat stood up in front of you like a wall. The air, heavy, it wrapped itself around you, stealing your breath. He doesn't say things like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's somebody who fancies themselves as a novelist. Oh, that's lofty. Lofty has lofty ideas. He does. I read that. I was like, okay, you're really, really pushing it now because there's no way David Beckham speaks like a novelist. (laughs) No way in hell. You've got to at least try and keep it into the realms of possibility of what he might have said. Do you know what else didn't quite strike true with me? Yeah. When he went to meet Nelson Mandela. Yeah. And he started saying, what a privilege it was, this amazing man who'd done so. I think you don't even know who Nelson Mandela is. From when he was in prison. That's what I thought that. To be fair, right? He can't have had time to be properly schooled. They probably just primed him. They're on the plane. They go, right, Nelson Mandela, this is what happened. This is what apartheid is. So they've told him, and then he's amazed. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. This is a book that doesn't ring true, and yet there's a lot of football truth. There's a lot of football truth in it. There's some marriage truth. I do think there's truth in it, but I think it's what the managers, what the brand Beckham want us all to believe who David Beckham is. And I think he is that for a large part of himself, but I also think a lot of it is reparations for him being a naughty boy. Bend the truth like Beckham. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thrift Shop Biography. We love making this podcast and we're absolutely thrilled that so many of you are already listening. You could really help us out by leaving us a review somewhere, wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could share us, tell your friends about us or drop some links on social media. We have a Facebook page called Thrift Shop Biography. So make sure you come over there to hear about the episodes first and what else we're up to. Okay, see you next week. And if you're new here, there are loads more episodes now to go and listen in the back catalogue. So make sure you go and enjoy them. 
Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>